Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello there. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast, an EFL-focused podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. With me, George Ellick. And George, last week we were previewing the return of championship football. We gave it the big un. We told everyone why it was exciting, which teams to look out for. And it's fair to say the opening weekend or the reopening weekend did not disappoint. Yeah, I'm not sure Leeds fans or Fulham fans would agree with us, but I think as general championship fans wanting the drama to unfold for the rest of the season, it was absolutely ideal because after just one weekend, it looks like we're going to have ourselves a promotion race. The pack trying to get into the top six was further bunched. And a couple of teams who might have thought they were safe from the relegation battle are dragged right back into it. So it was a good first weekend. And then you look at the fixture list for this weekend... And it's going to get even better. We've got Friday night, we've got um, the Brentford against West Brom game. And then on Saturday, Leeds hosting Fulham. You know, if we thought after that last weekend, it was all mixed up a bit, given the results we saw, it's fair to say that on Saturday evening, things could look very, very different. Let's start just by chatting through this game on Friday night, Brentford against West Brom. It's about as exciting as it gets for a, for a neutral fan. I imagine fairly nerve-wracking for fans of either side. The situation is that West Brom are now top of the table. They actually went above Leeds despite their home draw to Birmingham on the weekend because of that Leeds defeat at Cardiff. So they are uh, three goals better off is probably the best way of putting it, both on 71 points, but with uh, a goal difference of 27 to Leeds is 24. Seven points behind them are Fulham in third place and one more point. So eight points behind West Brom are Brentford. George, uh, we're definitely billing this as the... You know, the title race, the automatic promotion race not being over. That said, it really needs Brentford to win this game in order to be able to say that with real confidence next week, don't you think? You would think so. They're still eight points behind West Brom and Leeds as it stands. I think they can definitely take heart from both West Brom and Leeds' performance. Uh, two sides who have scored goals for fun this season, 64 for West Brom, 56 for Leeds, yet both drawing blanks and looking not at their best whatsoever on that opening weekend. Uh, Griffin Park, not many games left at Griffin Park. This will be the first one played behind closed doors, but it's hard to really think of many bigger games that have been played uh, at the historic stadium. So, yeah, I I agree with you. I think the Brentford have a massive chance of winning. We've said all season that they are not far behind, if behind at all, those top two teams. They just put in some poor performances early on in the season. You know, a goal difference of 33 shows that. Leeds is a 24 Uh, West Brom's is 27. They've also scored 66 goals, so more than either of those two. And as we saw on Saturday uh, against Fulham, 
and they went to third place Fulham, needing to win to keep their promotion dreams alive. If they lose that game, suddenly they're jerked back into that race for the top six. They put in a really disciplined display. Uh, we spoke to Michael Cox on our podcast on Monday, who wrote a piece for The Athletic about the game and particularly the clash between uh, Mitrovic and Watkins. And he said, as somebody who doesn't watch much championship football, it was pretty clear to see that Brentford were the better organiser of the two and were, and were deserving of their victory. So, you know, as I say, eight points is a big gap to bridge. But if they do get that win over West Brom, that would mean West Brom will have just picked up one point from their last two games. We've seen them have a dodgy run under Slavin Bilic before. And that gap of five is small enough, I would say, for Thomas Franks Brentford to fancy their chances of, of making it up. I don't think Slavin Bilic will be shaking in his boots just yet. I don't think much makes him shake in his boots, to be fair. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Look, their nil will draw against Birmingham at the Hawthorns last weekend. I saw that one. It was, at times, like a training session. Attack v defence. West Bromwich Albion imposing themselves on Birmingham, but suffering the same fate that a lot of teams did in the Premier League, in the Championship as well. Leeds, certainly. Brentford and Fulham, to a certain extent, in their game too, where they were able to move the ball very comfortably into Birmingham's final third. But maybe that little bit of rust, maybe not quite being on the same wavelength, not quite in tune with their teammates it, it was hurting them and, the, and they couldn't get through Clark Salter and Dean uh, in in Birmingham's back line so um, it, it's a fascinating game because uh, in the reverse fixture it was one all back at the Hawthorns uh, both goals from set pieces and scored by the right backs but the, the game itself was very even and I think like that Brentford Fulham game we're going to see both teams have periods of the game where they uh, have long spells of possession uh, and put together uh, plenty of chances but I, I don't think there's going to be as clear a, a difference between the sides in terms of possession. I really do think it's going to be a bit to and fro, not necessarily open like a basketball match, but certainly both teams trading blows. And that's exactly what you want uh, for a game of this importance at the top of the championship. That's that's what we're after. So that one's on Friday night. And then Leeds and Fulham uh, will play on Saturday at 3pm. Both teams losing uh, in their first game back, Fulham against Brentford, Leeds at Cardiff. George, when we spoke earlier on in the week, your confidence, I suppose, that Leeds would be cantering to the title. I I'm not going to be extreme and to say it, it had gone completely, but it certainly it was chipped away throughout that game on Sunday. Yeah, I I've, I've made a mental note not to make as many predictions this week because um, a combination of Neil Harris and Keith Curl made me look rather foolish early on uh, this time. But uh, yeah, I mean, in that Leeds game, they created enough chances to win the game. They conceded two goals from basically the only two chances they conceded. But throughout the fixture, they didn't exercise that dominance that we saw from them before the break in football. Uh, and it's going to be a pretty tough game for them to come into here, having to bounce back. I still fancy them as the best team in the league. I don't think there was much to see on Saturday to, to go against that. Just two brilliant finishes um, from, from Cardiff with, with the difference. And um, Patrick Bamford's unfortunate positioning may be the difference and unfortunate finishing as well. Uh, but this is a big one because we've seen last season uh, Leeds' mental fragility may be exposed a, a couple of times, both in the race for promotion and in the playoff campaign. And this is a game where if they come unstuck against Fulham, not only does it bring Fulham back into the, the picture as well, but you can be very sure. I mean, we, we know for a fact that, that Brentford and West Brom, one of those two teams are going to win or they're both going to pick up points. So it's a massive game for Leeds. I don't know how you feel, but I, I still reckon that 
we're going to see Leeds return to the kind of form that we saw them in before. Um, but if, if I could, if I was Marcelo Bielsa, Fulham would not be very high on the list of teams I'd, I'd want to face this weekend. Phil Hay, who's the, the Leeds writer for The Athletic, he wrote a really good sort of match preview piece uh, uh, focusing on the tactics of the two sides and how this game might play out. Uh, and it's certainly real food for thought. I mean, firstly, if you haven't read the piece, then you should head to Phil Hay's profile on The Athletic site. And if you haven't signed up to The Athletic site, then go to theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod, E-F-L-P-O-D, for a 40% discount on your annual subscription. Uh, I guess that the main question that I had after reading that piece was there is a blueprint of beating Leeds. Now, a large part of the blueprint is, of course, you need to have quite a lot of luck, but you also need to defend exceptionally well, very resolutely. And of course, you have to have some threat on the counterattack and you have to make sure that A, you take 50% of your chances because Leeds are not a team that give up many chances. And that's what Cardiff did last weekend. They defended resolutely in a low block and they seized upon Leeds's mistakes. My concern from a Fulham perspective is whether or not they have it in them to follow that beat Leeds blueprint. And they're clearly a fantastic side with tons of great individual players. But in, in purely tactics and, and systemic terms, I'm just not sure that they, they, they necessarily have it in them. With a player like Mitrovic, and Michael Cox wrote about this on the Athletics site this week. He is such a fantastic penalty box striker. He's a magnificent target man. And as goal scorers go, pure goal scorers, he's the best in the championship. But in terms of his all-round game, and especially in transition on the counter-attack, he's actually a bit of a net negative. He doesn't make the right runs because he doesn't have the pace to get in behind. And he's not actually as good at link-up play outside of the box as, as people think. So if they go with Mitrovic up front, that would almost be a problem for me in terms of the system needed to, to beat this lead side at Ellen Road even though I, I fully understand at the same time that if Fulham can impose themselves on the game and play their game uh, and get into good areas and deliver good balls for Mitrovic, he's clearly the best option there. So I'm fascinating to see how Scott Parker, I'm, I'm fascinated rather to see how Scott Parker approaches this because I'm not necessarily sure Mitrovic is the right man for this low block counter-attack style that seems to work quite well against this lead side. At the back, I think they've got a good chance of of putting together a good rear guard action. Michael Hector especially was really impressive last weekend against Brentford. And it was just one excellent ball right at the end uh, that provided the, di that sort of proved the difference there. So uh, look, two fascinating games. It's clear from us going back and forth that we're, we're not that keen to put together too many predictions because, well, the old cliche is that anyone can beat anyone at championship level, but certainly the first weekend back post break in football showed us that that is the case potentially more than ever playing behind closed doors there are other fascinating fixtures as well in the championship um, you've got Stoke and Middlesbrough is probably the one that I'm going to keep a very close eye on and that really took on a new twist this week George Jonathan Woodgate uh, was removed from his post as manager on Monday swift action taken by Steve Gibson after such a poor performance at home to Swansea last weekend. And Neil Warnock himself, the number one championship firefighter. And that might be doing him a disservice, potentially the number one championship manager ever. And I genuinely mean that if you look at his record. He's taken over to try and make sure that Borough do not get relegated to League One. And there's so much talked about Warnock's record, both of saving teams in a sticky spot, but also in 
being promoted to the Premier League from the Championship. We wanted to get an idea of actually how he goes about that because I think all fans and anyone who follows the EFL has an idea of of what a Neil Warnock team looks like. We've all seen uh, we've all seen and heard plenty from Neil himself, and we know what a colourful character he is. We wanted to get an uh, an insight into what it's like inside a dressing room when Neil Warnock comes in to save you from relegation. So we phoned up Richard Wood who is the Rotherham United captain. He's been there for a good few years. And in the 2015-2016 season, Neil Warnock came in in February with Rotherham in the relegation zone and steered them to safety. We wanted to get Rip's outlook on how he did that. And he joined us on the phone earlier. So we're delighted to be joined by Rotherham United captain. Promotion winning captain, we can say now, Richard Wood. Richard, before we speak to you about your experiences playing under your former manager, Neil Warnock, let's talk about the here and the now. Not the normal way to get promoted, it must be said, but what's it been like for you and the players since finding out just over a week ago that you'll be playing championship football again next season? Very strange to start with. Um, not the way we'd like to have done it, finishing how, we, how the season ended, uh, but at the same time delighted to get promotion and playing the championship next season it's been, it's going to be a great experience and brilliant for us and as, as a team but just strange how how it got brought about it's sort of been dragging on for a number of weeks now and then to finally get told last Tuesday a week last Tuesday something like that um, you can't really celebrate so it was like oh yes we've got promotion what we aimed for at the start of the season but without the celebrations without all the fans and the excitement that and the emotions you get when when that does actually happen um it was just sat at home uh, we had a zoom call after we all the lads on and it was just strange celebrations we actually want to talk to you about a time that you were playing in the championship with rotherham uh, a fair few well five or so years ago with neil warnock who came in and did a an amazing job helping the team to survive uh, from a really difficult position. And of course, that is the position he finds himself in uh, this week, having been appointed manager of Middlesbrough. They're just outside the relegation zone uh, in poor form and really needing a, a bit of a boost, I think it's fair to say. So we'd love to to get you on and, and get the definitive view of on, on how Neil Warnock Warnocks. I think we can probably turn his name into a verb because he's he's so well known for for doing the business in the championship. Um, I, I suppose to set the tone, uh, when Neil took over your Rotherham side, you were twenty second in in the championship. You'd lost eight of of your last twelve league games, and in his first game in charge, you were sent off. So was your teammate Joe Mattock. Nine man Rotherham get a draw with Birmingham. I mean, it was a it was a something of a baptism of fire there. When he first came in. Everybody knew straight away. You could feel the atmosphere around the training ground change. And he's been there and done it. He's had numerous promotions. He's he's a brilliant manager. So as soon as that as soon as that were announced that he, he were coming, the whole shift changed with the club. Um, I got sent off, but it were two bookings, and it were harsh. I thought, um, but we got a result. We dug in and we got a draw that game. I think it Birmingham. Yeah. It Birmingham, wasn't it? Nil nil with Birmingham. Um, so it was a good result and a good platform to build on, and then we went on a great run. Um, but the, just the old shift change, him walking through the door, the first meeting he had with the players, he's got that respect and that he's got that aura about him straight away before he's even said a word. 
you mentioned that when you when you first met him, I think we all anybody who follows EFL football knows about Neil Warnock, whether it's him in the studios covering games, whether it's the behind the scenes footage that we've all seen of him in changing rooms. So I mean what exactly did he say when he first came in? What was his character like? When he first came on a personal level, um I've played against these Sheffield United teams a lot of times when I worked Chef Wednesday. So I've come across him a lot, know him, he knows me. So I'd been frozen out previously by other managers um, at Rotherham. But as soon as it got announced that he was coming in, I knew where to play straight away. And then when he did come in and speak to me, his man management skills are brilliant. And I knew I'd be playing, it gave me confidence to go and play. And uh, he joked, he used my, my name quite a lot with all the lads to joke. So he made fun of me, which I can take quite easily. And he knew that, man of management skills again. And... Uh, it just, he just galvanised the team and for me personally, I, I love playing for him and he'd pull you to one side every now and again, have a good chat with you. But then you've got the other side to it that you see, the dressing room side, the, the behind the scenes stuff that you've mentioned just then. Having a go, geeing people up, he's, he's, he's brilliant and it certainly worked for us and I, c- I can see it working at Middlesbrough. They've got a lot of good players, good squad, experienced lads, Alson, uh, Clayton, Shotton and He'll just, he'll, he will galvanise him. I can see him staying up. I think it's a very good move from the club that they've took him on. So the sort of first impression, the first boost comes from him as a, as a man, really, as a man manager, as a character, and the way that he deals with personalities and manages a group. Uh, what about in terms of training and 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 the tactical side of the game? I think everyone, as George said, who follows EFL football closely, can understand what it looks like watching a Neil Warnock side. What's it like playing within one? What are the sort of key messages that he that he gives you early on to get you instantly into that structure, into that setup? Well, he's got his coaching staff that he brings along. Kevin Blackwell and Ronnie Jepson have come in with him, I think, into Middlesbrough. He, the, the same coaching setup he had with us, and it was same at Cardiff when he went there. So he leaves that side, like the training side, to. To them, like to them, coaches to do. In in terms of Rotherham, when we played, we were just difficult to play against, hard to be organised. We had lads out of position doing jobs for him that wouldn't normally do it. Matt Derbyshire were on the left wing, working his socks off up and down for the team, and Neil Warnock got him to do that, and it paid dividends because Darb's got a few goals out of that as well. And well, we went on a great run, so. Teams hated playing against us. I'm not sure how, how we'll deal with that at Middlesbrough because it's a different setup, different set of lads. But nobody liked playing us. Neil Warnock team, Rotherham in the Championship, fighting for their lives. Nobody, they didn't fancy it when they turned up, and we just we just kept building momentum, and it was great. Whether I mean, you say nobody liked playing against you as a team, and I think that's probably the case for all Neil Warnock teams. I mean, what are the key messages that he instills into you? I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's not going to tell you to to keep the ball around the back uh, and pass it between yourselves around the back four. But I mean, what are the key, I guess, ideas that he tries to instill into his players? Because you look at his record and he's successful pretty much everywhere that he goes. So he must have some pretty impressive and important key messages that he gets across to his players. It would just been a strong team, athletic, being organised. Then it, from, from that point, it was... Then man managing people, let people have freedom to go and play further up the pitch. So to me, or in front for me as a defender, strong, big defender who's not not as good as other people on the ball. He didn't want me with the ball. 
So he even said that to me and joked in front of the lads about it. Don't let Woody have the ball. Get get it get it up the pitch and uh, I do my job defending. I keep I keep the goals out. I be nice and aggressive and give it to somebody else to go and then express themselves. And I think he's just got to work out. Well, he does quite quickly. Work out the characters. Work out how they work. What style of player they have, and then let them give them freedom to go and play in that in that role. If that makes sense. So for me, it won't it won't it won't to pass the ball out from the back. In my case, it was defend, defend, be aggressive, be strong, and get it forward. A lot of the younger managers that we see, certainly in the Premier League, but also in the EFL, um, they are very open in talking about um, you know tactics and passages of play and, and the way to approach various situations. From, from what it sounds like, Richard, and, and don't get me wrong, when you come into a team in February, there's probably not that much time to, to go too deep into tactics when with the games coming thick and fast. But from what you've said so far, would it, would it be fair to suggest that that Neil is almost simple in that regard and I don't mean that in a negative way but just doesn't clutter up your head with with too many purely sort of tactical instructions yeah well he hasn't got time has he so it's similar situation now going in at Middlesbrough with eight games to go whatever it is um it was same at Rotherham so I haven't worked with him over a long period so over a longer period it might be completely different but over the short term it would just get the experienced players that know what they're going to do that he can trust play them in the position and let them go and do the job and, and we did we had me Kurt Broadfoot at centre half um, Greg Alford just sat in front of us every game um, we had Danny Ward up front and Matt Derbyshire who's normally a striker he was playing out on the left but he knew he could trust him and rely on him to do the job that was needed so it'd be the same at Middlesbrough he's got quite a lot of lads there they're experienced know, know the championship it's just it's difficult sometimes it's it's a lot of it's mentally and if you're on a bad run it's hard to get out of that but somebody else coming through the door just might change shift of, of the momentum and, and galvanise everybody You've mentioned that with this promotion you haven't been able to celebrate properly with your players uh, and, and your manager and um, you've had a couple of promotions previously at Rotherham from League One but this great escape under Neil Warnick must have been pretty high in terms of celebrations afterwards knowing the character as well of the manager, what was that like celebrating um, this triumph alongside, yeah, such a character? Yeah, it was. It was good. To be fair, it was just the celebrations after the game. But as soon as the game's finished and we all leave the stadium, that's where the manager just goes off and he keeps himself to himself. The players go and celebrate. So I'm sure the gaff. I'm sure Neil Warnock went and celebrated with his coaching staff. Um, but we had an hour or so in the dressing room after. No, no, we went. We went elsewhere for that and. We certainly enjoyed ourselves after after staying up what looked like we're nailed on to be relegated at one point. Um, it, were, it were unbelievable to be involved in. And you look back and that's definitely one of my career highlights, staying up in that sort of situation. It's not winning promotions and it's not as good as that because you want to be winning and top of the league and getting medals. But under the circumstances, what were going on, it were a great achievement and something that I'm sure Neil looks back on well, um, all the promotions he's had. That's, that's up there with one of the best things managerial I think he's done as well. Any strong memories, any funny stories uh, from his time in charge? There's, uh, as George alluded to, there's a lot of clips online. You can see he's, he's pretty famous for some for some lively team talks. Was that a feature of his time at Rotherham as well? And any particular lines that stood out that G'd you up? He loved a joke as well. He knows the right time to have a joke. So more, mainly, most of the time it were me that were the butt of the jokes um, just because he knew me. 
and he, he, he he'd worked well. He he played against me enough times, and I knew him, so he knew I, he could not pick on me, but he could use me all the time, and I just enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it. Yeah, we got us uh, roastings at half-time, rollickings, and he'd, he'd go mad in certain situations, but he'd try and make light of it then afterwards, and once Monday comes along, it's gone, and we're at the start of a fresh week, so it was, just, it was just enjoyable. I can't really say that there were any standout things. I've seen loads of video clips previously in years gone by, and that, that make me laugh, and he's just a nice guy to to work with and it was a pleasure to work with them to be fair just for any borough fans who might be listening to this who maybe you know, having seen tony pudis be let go by the club for for the style of football on offer have a few doubts about whether a neil warnock is the right man as somebody who's who's played for his team played under a successful team of neil warnock's what message would you have to anyone listening just that they've made a really well i'm not sure if it's the right choice but they've made a really good choice in bringing him in in the position that middlesbrough in at moment you need someone like him to come and just change it around quickly, which he can do. And uh, I definitely can see him getting out of trouble and picking up results. It might not be prettiest football, um, but if you stay in the division, when you look back, who cares? You can look forward to next season, make decisions then going forward once you've stayed up. So what difference does it make for the last few games, how you play, it's results that matter? And that's what football is all about, winning football matches, getting three points every week. In the end, with you and Neil at Rotherham, you had that amazing run that you touched on. Six wins and two draws took you from six points from safety to seven points above the relegation zone and, and safety with a couple of games to go in the end. It, it was it was comfy in the end. Um, but but Neil Warnock didn't stay. He, he, he didn't choose to stay uh, and take you forward into the next season at the Championship. Uh, why was that? Was that kind of tough for the players to take after such a, an amazing few months working for him? Yeah, but he, his job was just to come in for that till the end of the season. So we all expected him to move on from there. He said, I think he said he was going to retire. That's all he keeps saying. Every job, every job he does, he kept us up, said he was going to retire. Then he pops up at Cardiff and he said he was going to retire then and carried on for another season at Cardiff, didn't he? And that's all he ever says. And then he just can't help himself. He loves football and he, he wants to be around the football environment, I think. And he just can't help himself, can he? Which is good because we need characters like him in the game. Spot on. Well, I mean, your current manager, Paul Warren, has masterminded another promotion with yourself at the heart of the Rotherham defence. We're really looking forward to seeing you guys uh, take charge of the championship next season. And we wish you all the best. Hope that the, the summer preparation, I guess, is the right word for it. But it's all a little bit unusual at the moment. And uh, we hope that the next few weeks and months goes well and, and look forward to seeing you back on the pitch again uh, as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. We're looking forward to it. Can't wait. So that's the newest manager in the championship, Neil Warnock. What about the newest superstar? It could well be Louis Sibley. He scored a hat-trick last weekend for Derby against Millwall. It was only a second start in the league for Derby County. The 18-year-old attacking midfielder just shining so bright last weekend. We had to find out more about him. We wanted to get the insight of someone that knows him well. And amazingly, we were, we were able to get on the phone with Liam. Rossinia. Now, Liam, as everyone will remember from last season, was about as good as an EFL pundit gets on Sky Sports. But sadly, his skills are also pretty useful for an EFL team. So he was hired by Derby County 
we realised we, we were able to talk to him about Louis Sibley and Wayne Rooney and various other topics. And quite short notice, I was actually out running some errands in my car yesterday when we spoke to him. Here's Liam Rossini talking all things Derby County. What a pleasure to be joined by Liam Rossini on today's podcast. Uh, Liam, of course, had an excellent playing career and was just starting a, a career as a very popular EFL pundit. Uh, before taking a job with Derby County last July, which was a, a great loss to the world of EFL punditry, um, but again for Derby. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. A pleasure. Uh, first question, what is the current workload like for someone like yourself on the coaching staff of a championship side in Derby who are one game through a nine-game period in just 33 days? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to say the least. It's a lot. Um, I knew when I took the job with my dad being in coaching before, it's, uh, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And now it's even more intense, obviously. More, more so just planning for the players coming back from, from the break that they had and trying to get them as fit as possible for the, for the restart of the season. And now we're going into a, a crucial period where there's going to be a lot of games in a short space of time. So watching many teams, trying to make sure the training sessions are right for the players. It's a lot, but at the same time, it's really enjoyable. And within the coaching staff, with all these games on the horizon, Liam, how much is your time split between watching the opposition games and, and trying to prepare for their game plan versus putting together Derby's own game plan with the manager? Yeah, well, I think it's quite interlinked because you need to make sure your own game plan is, is aligned to how the opposition play. Um, so I'm, I'm really fortunate to be working with Philip Koku, Chris van der Veerden, Twan Sheepers and um, Shay Given as well, who has an input. And between us, we know we might, one of us may look at set plays a little bit more, one of us may look at the opposition, one may look at our last game. So we share the workload, but then we collaborate and, and come to what we think is the best decision. Liam, it's been a pretty good return to football for Derby County on Saturday with a 3-2 victory at Millwall. Uh, that comes off the back of two victories before the break in football as well. So currently sitting in pretty good form one of the form teams in the division and not too far off the top six so is the feeling at the club now that you have a real chance of forcing your way into that playoff picture um yeah i think we're all really aware that we we have a, a good chance i think in the championship any team that goes on a run uh, ends up pretty much where they want to be because it's just so tight and so difficult so if you can stay consistent yourselves you've always got a really really good chance of being in the top six i think from a coach's point of view I think in terms of our performances, I think since January, we're top of the league for 2020 in terms of our points total. So there's been a real increase in the, in the performance and the way that we want the players to play. And it's taken them time to adapt to, to the style that we want to bring to Derby. And now I think we're seeing the benefits of that. Liam, the star man on the weekend and really the, the man on everyone's lips across the championship is uh, Louis Sibley. He scored a hat-trick against Millwall, scored a banger against Blackburn just pre-coronavirus uh, pause in football. For those who haven't seen much of him and, and really in order to see a lot of him, you'd have had to have been watching Derby's youth teams for a few years or, or keeping an eye on those training sessions that you're a part of. Um, what sort of a player is he? How would you describe his game to someone that hasn't seen him play? Well, I think um, most supporters pay, pay money and turn up to watch players who can score goals, who can take players on. Um, who have a bit of spark of magic and Louis definitely comes into that category. He's always scored goals in the youth teams in under 23 level and we've worked with him really closely now for seven, eight months and what we've tried to do is polish up the rest of his game. 
because in terms of his ability to score or create chances, he's an absolutely outstanding player. And I think he's someone that uh, when now he's he's in the team, he's got to really work really hard to stay in the team. But I think he's one of those players that gets you off the edge of your seat. And I think that's why why we all love the game. And, and hope I'm sure if he keeps his feet on the ground. He's a really grounded kid. He, he could go on to have a really, really good career. You say a really, really good career. I mean, it's not too often that somebody comes in, a teenager comes in at his hometown club and makes the impact that Sibley has, especially scoring a hat-trick uh, with his first game back. And it's pretty fair to say as well that the, the break in football couldn't really have come at a worse time for him after scoring that screamer, as Ali said, on his first start. I mean, how... I know that you're one of his coaches and you can't, you're not going to, you know, build him up too much, but he seems like one of those kind of generational talents who could be as good as he wants to be. I mean, how, how you say a very good career, how good is that? I think for any young player, the, the, this, I think for the late, likes of uh, Louis Sibley, we've got Max Bird, Jason Knight, Morgan Whitaker, Lee Buchanan, the list goes on. They can all get as far as, as they want to, as long as they work hard enough in training every day. It's really difficult to... Um, say where a player will end up or, or what they'll do with their career. What you have to do is just focus on on the here and now and work every single day to improving. And I think uh, in Louis's case, he's improved immeasurably um, in the last six months in terms of the detail that we're giving him and how we want him to improve technically and tactically. Uh, and now he's burst on, onto the scene. But it, you, you never know with young players. In terms of talent and ability, Louis's right up there. Um, and now we just need to help him along the way and, and, and maximise his potential moving forward. I mean, you can only imagine what it's like to be someone of Sibley's age or, or even Max Bird and some of the other younger players who have been in and around the first team to have Wayne Rooney join in January and be, and be a senior teammate of yours now in this team. Since Rooney arrived, I think you mentioned it yourself, since his arrival, the best record in the Championship in 15 games. So it's clear that he's had an impact on the pitch. We've seen him spraying passes and, and, and breaking the lines and, and really adding a lot to Derby's midfield. But I'm interested from a, uh, the perspective of the young players and, and specifically Sibley, how does Rooney's impact on them manifest itself in terms of how they learn from him day to day? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the young players, obviously, when he first came into the club, were absolutely starstruck. You know, Wayne is someone who's uh, once in a generation gifted in terms of his talent and ability and what he's done in his career. Um, so for him to walk through the doors at the training ground, it just naturally means that the players want to want to show that they can they can play with him. You know, they want to take all of the lessons that that he gives them. And I think in Wayne's case is, yeah, he, he speaks to the younger players and gives them tips and advice. But I think the best lesson to learn from Wayne is um, how he trains, uh, how much work he puts in, how much he practices on the, on his extras. And that encourages the young players to do the same. And it, he's someone who's a case in point who can who can show the, the, the younger players, especially, what it takes to be a, a player at the very highest level. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Liam. Really interesting to get your thoughts and very excited indeed to watch not just Louis Sibley, but the host of other young talent that you've got at the club as well. So fingers crossed they will progress well and the season ends with a, uh, with a playoff campaign at least. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Take care. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced raises, just like me and you, George. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close 
comfortable shave. Fair to say, George Ellick, we are both converts to the to the gospel of Harry's, both having picked up our trial sets. And I can only speak for myself, but I am as smooth as I've ever been. Uh, what about what what have your experiences been so far with Harry's? Well, now I don't have to shave very often. Uh, it's fair to say, but when I do, I'm very happy that I have my Harry's razor. I will not be going back to the aforementioned overpriced razors. Uh, it's a very clean, very easy process. And I, I now look forward to my weekly or maybe fortnightly shave. How about yourself? Yeah, they actually had a couple of tips involved uh, with the with the instructions, uh, which I've taken on board. And uh, it's actually it's changed, it's changed my shaving life, I must say. So I'm, I mean, you I'm thrilled amazing. with it. <laughs> I've had the trial set and I'll be delving deep into into a, a, a longer term subscription. They've signed me on a long term contract now. As a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. Great to get the thoughts of Liam Rossini, of course, such a, a respected EFL pundit before getting the job at Derby. And brilliant to hear his takes on Louis Sibley and, and Wayne Rooney, among others, and also on his former club, Hull City. Now, uh, it's no secret that it's a tough time for Hull on the pitch with just two points from 12 games sliding into the relegation zone in the first set of fixtures post-coronavirus break. But off the field, things are really tough as well. And The Athletic's Adam Crafton, along with six other contributors, published a special investigation earlier on this week, the story of Hull City's decline. I think a lot of people who listen to these pods will have heard George and I talking about things like the sale of Jared Bowen and Kamil Grasitsky uh, and how they've slid down the table since January. But as Adam makes very clear in this clip this is a decline that has been almost a decade in the making there was a huge row that took place because a member of bruce's sports science staff wanted to look after a relative who was unwell and bruce said to them yeah go go on go home look after them and we'll give you paid leave the story goes that ehab alam the vice chair found out about this and said it wouldn't be possible that culminated in a huge row between bruce and and alam that apparently culminated in Bruce being uh, fired pretty much on the spot before Hall then changed their mind and then he gets them promoted. Um, but all amongst this, Alan was carrying out negotiations with the American investor Peter Grieve for a sale and apparently also tried to insert into the sale a condition that Bruce should be removed from his job should the takeover go ahead. We were also keen to get the thoughts of a fan close to the club, somebody who's been there for the duration of the Alam's reign at Hull City and we spoke to Graham Cannon who's the vice chair of the Hull City Supporters Trust about his views on the piece that was released this week and how he wants the owners to progress with the club going forward. The way some of the information came out it was we, we have a phrase up here called typical city even if they're trying to get ahead of the game they really didn't do it very well. A lot of the information that came out was probably known to people but not officially acknowledged. It's it's sad because when the Alams came in 10 years ago, the club was in dire straits and they've taken us into the Premier League again. We went to a cup final and we went to Europe and things were looking so well. But over the past four years, it's 
really started to decline. I'm not sure whether they're losing interest in the club or whatever it is behind, but, but the fans have been through a number of issues. Um, we had the time when they removed concessions so that if you were six or 66, you paid the same amount for the seat and that got a lot of fans' backs up. There was the name change, trying to step away from Hull City and have us called Hull Tigers, and a number of other issues that are specifically local. So fans were upset by it, but not surprised. The whole thing is just so sad. We could have been a mid-table Premier League club if we'd have been organised better. We could be like Burnley. But unfortunately, that's not it. And the telling thing is that I reckon our season pass holders are now down to about 7,000. Possibly next season, we may not see 5,000. And when people get out of football and find something else to do on a Saturday, it's very difficult to get them back in. I mean, that's over and above the fact that the way we're playing at the moment looks like we'll be playing League One football next year. And it's just, as I said, there was no great surprise with most of it. It's just sadness. Great to hear the thoughts there of Graham Cannon. And you can really tell the strength of the feeling amongst those close to the club about what has gone on off the pitch in the last few years. Ali, you watched their game against Charlton on the weekend uh, and you know, no prizes for guessing that you weren't particularly impressed. Just two points taken since deadline day uh, on January the 31st. I mean, it is absolutely desperate for them both on and off the pitch at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely. And look, ahead of the fixtures last weekend, we were making a lot of the fact that for clubs who had gone into the lockdown period in poor form, this could be treated as a clean slate that surely psychologically you would be uh, you would be energised in a sense at having been able to take a little bit of time off because that run pre-lockdown was two points from 11 games. Your first game back is against a team inside the relegation zone. You are just outside it and you just need to perform well enough to keep them at bay. But they lost 1-0 against Charlton. Uh, you know, a fairer result would have been 2 or 3-0, I would suggest. Charlton, the better side, clearly. Hull just played with so little energy, so little imagination, so little confidence. And it, it just makes you wonder how much the just terrible feeling and terrible atmosphere around the club is undermining you know, the work that Grant McCann can do with this side, especially having lost those two key men in January. I think one thing I, I would say is... There's this. There might be a sense that having lost those two players, this is an, a horrendous squad and that they were the only two good players. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Part of the poor form pre-lockdown was, yes, a lack of Grosicki and Bowen, who, who were so key to them going forward, but also a lot of defensive injuries and a lot of young players who were sort of filling in the gaps. But this was, as, as much as possible, about a full strength of team as Hull had available. They do have championship quality players. A, a midfield with Herbie Kane, Daniel Batty and John Toral on paper looks pretty decent. Wilkes out wide and Bowler on loan from Everton looks pretty decent. They have had a good run defensively at times this season as well. So it's difficult to 
accept any excuses of poor performance based on not having the players available. I would say that a team like Charlton are a good example, the team that beat them. I don't think Charlton necessarily have a much better team than Hull on paper. I would say the same about other teams down and around them. So for things to change, there has to be a, a serious change in atmosphere potentially around the club, everyone pulling together. And, and that needs to translate into, I mean, effort on the pitch, but also just some semblance of structure and, and imagination as well. Because otherwise, you know, having just entered the relegation zone, it's hard to imagine this Hull side getting out of it now. And it's something that I've often said on our podcast as well. Sometimes for these clubs down towards the bottom of the championship, getting relegated into League One can be a good thing. But in this instance, given what we've read, in the Athletic this week. It does not feel like a club who will be able to cope, who have an owner uh, or with the willingness to provide the support needed to bounce back from League One. So it's very hard to feel anything but concerned for the supporters and the people of Hull City. It will be really interesting to see how they perform this weekend away at Birmingham City as a full slate of championship action. As discussed, it is a mouthwatering slate of fixtures with the top four playing against each other. First place, West Brom playing against Brentford, who are fourth on Friday night. Leeds against Fulham on Saturday at three o'clock. All of those games available to watch. So hopefully you're as excited as we are about, firstly, the results last weekend that set these games up so tantalisingly, but also the potential for some really interesting games and hopefully some interesting results as well to be discussed next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. It was brilliant to be able to talk to Richard Wood about the impact that Neil Warnock can have on a side struggling down the bottom of the championship table. That is his task with Middlesbrough. Also, Liam Rossinia, very well placed to talk about Louis Sibley and Derby County's excellent form. And to finish us off, Graham Cannon, the vice chair of Hull City Supporters Trust, to give us some insight into exactly how the situation there has deteriorated to such an extent. We hope you'll join us again next week. We hope that you'll subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already do so with a 40% discount if you head to theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod all one word EFL pod uh, that'll get you a 40% discount on your subscription you can sign up for less than three pounds a month and celebrate the return of football and all the excellent coverage on the athletic site and app 